Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Last Sunday, I shared some thoughts about a... I, found, I ran across a blog by a pastor in North Carolina and um, used it as an example, without mentioning any names or anything, um, used it as an example of what is wrong with um, a lot of teaching out there concerning the Christian faith and sin and so forth. Um, but there's so much I wanted to say about that blog. It's a short little blog, a few paragraphs. It's on last uh, week's tape. If you want to catch the tape, it's, it's on the uh, website. But there's so much I want to say about it. I'm going to try to do my best to, to uh, take it and write a comment after every, almost every line and say what's right about it and what's, in my opinion, what's not right about it. There's a couple of things in there that's good stuff, you know, basic stuff. Um, like avoid places that make you stumble. Um, and when you hurt someone and offend someone, you know, go and ask forgiveness. That's great. Good stuff. But when you look at the, the first two things they mention, he mentions, um, and you, look, you take, you take the, the blog overall, it's really teaching how to handle sin. And the teaching could have been taught in the days of Moses. And that's the problem. There's nothing in that teaching that is new that Moses didn't have. Nothing. Zero. Except at the very end, what I would say lip service to, you know, do these things so that you can be the new creation that Jesus made you to be. You know, just kind of threw it out there at the the very last line. But the whole blog is not talking to a new creation. It's not perception or the or the the uh, view is not a new creation view so just to throw that line at the end you know just lip service to grace and lip service to the new creation is not going to cut it and i get upset about it because it in my opinion it's spiritual abuse it's people who sit under that kind of teaching week after week after week and they're they're told to look at their flesh to set their minds on the flesh which Paul says is death, as opposed to the mindset on the spirit, which is life and peace. I just get riled up in me because I know people are, it, it's, it's hurting people. You know, Paul was like that. Paul got really frustrated with, you know, the Galatian letter is, is written in fire because he established this revelation with the Galatians of how Jesus himself had taken away their sin and had given them a gift an awesome gift, the gift of righteousness. And he talked about how they are now joined to God and they were now sons of God and the Spirit crying, Abba, Papa, and all this. He, he laid this awesome foundation, awesome teaching to the Galatians. And then these legalists came behind him and started saying, well, that's good what Paul said, but you need to add this to it and add this to it and add this to it. And it began to eat away at the revelation of their union with Christ, such that Paul said, what happened to the blessedness that was here the last time I was here? What ha- what are you- who's teaching you this stuff? Now you're biting and devouring one another. And he said, he said when I was here the first time, you would, have te- you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me because there was so much love and so much grace, so much power being manifested through the revelation of Christ. But now, you know, you're fighting each other and, you know, so... And, he, and Paul says in the Galatian letter, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. And so what happened was a little bit of leaven of law, leaven that entire lump of awesome revelation Paul had brought to them. And he was angry. And he was angry in the, in the beginning of that letter, the Galatians. And he says, you know, let him be accursed. 
Whoever's bringing this message to you, let him be a curse. He goes, I'll say it again. He wrote, I'll say it again. Let him be a curse. He was mad because it was hurting the people. And he said, uh, he said, I travail in birth. Christ is formed in you. Like a, like a woman having a baby, I just, I, I, I labored that, that Christ might be manifested in your life. And what was the key to Christ being manifested in their lives? To be complete, completely and totally free from law. The Galatian letter is all about being t- completely free from law, for it is for liberty Christ has set you free. Stand fast in this freedom. Be not entangled again in the bondage and yoke of the law. And so that key is what allows Christ to be formed and come forth. So Paul puts freedom from law and the formation and manifestation of Christ in our life together. And it's so true. God's wisdom is not our way. It's, it's, it's a higher wisdom. And where man thinks, no, you got to have law, you got you to hold people accountable, you got to, you know, get them to examine their flesh and, you know, and all this stuff, where that's, that's religion. And that's what they had in the days of Moses. But a new thing has come in Christ that is not of this world. As Paul said in the beginning of the Galatian letter, I received this not from men, nor from the agency of men, but I received it from the Lord himself, from heaven. It's a revelation. You know, natural man understands mercy pretty much because, you know, when you do something wrong, natural man is crying out, oh, please, mercy, mercy. So natural man understands mercy because mercy speaks of forgiveness after you've done something wrong. You know, people plead for mercy when they do something wrong. So natural man kind of gets mercy, but natural man does not get grace because grace is higher than mercy. Grace is not just a forgiveness after you do something wrong. Grace doesn't even count the wrong in the first place and natural man doesn't get that natural man says no 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 I, I, I know I'm, I'm guilty I know I'm guilty but I'm asking for mercy they understand that the world understands that but you tell that tell that same person that yeah you did something wrong but guess what God's not even counting it he has stopped counting sin because of Christ that doesn't compute that takes a revelation. Grace is a revelation. And the, the message of Christ is a revelation. And that's why we have to always be vigilant. Legalism is always trying to creep in and, and eat away with, with tiny little thoughts here and there. A mindset that says God is still counting your sins against you. At the core of legalism is this concept right here, at the core. At the core of legalism. Like I asked uh, someone, you know, or I heard someone say what they thought legalism was. And they said, they said, well, I think legalism is if, you know, um, and this person was preaching legalistic teaching in it. And he said, well, I, think, I don't think I'm teaching legalism because I think legalism, legalism would be if I taught that every time you sin, you have to earn God's affections again um, through repentance. And, that's, and that would be true. That's, that's certainly not accurate. You have to earn God's affections every time you sin. But that's a very shallow, shallow definition of legalism. You can teach all kinds of legalism within the framework of that definition and kill people. I mean, if all you're saying that, okay, no, I'm not, I'm not preaching legalism because I don't teach that they have to earn God's love again. But they sure have to jump through a bunch of hoops to have his fellowship, to have his smile, to have his favor. He still loves them, but he can't stand them. You know? 
You can, in that shallow definition of legalism, you can teach all kind of garbage and keep people in bondage. No, the true definition of legalism at its core, at its core, is this. Any mindset, it's a mindset, any mindset that views God as counting your sins against you as a believer, as a believer in Christ. Any mindset that views God as holding you in your sins as a believer in Christ is the core of legalism. That's it. From that core thought comes all kinds of various teachings of confession in order to stay in fellowship with God or um, confession to stay cleansed or search your, he- your, search your evil heart so you can get the heart purified which is a false teaching because the, the new believer has no evil heart that's, that's what's so awesome about the new creation you have a new heart you realize that there's not a single verse in the New Testament that says to the believer to search your heart for sin not a single one There's not a single verse in the entire New Testament that tells the believer in Christ to search your heart for sin. The apostles were very clear about this. Sin has been relegated to the body, the members of our body, the flesh. God has truly circumcised the body away from the inner man and translated you and I by an act of creation into another reality. That is the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water. Out of the heart innermost, 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 pure all the way, all the way through, pure as the driven snow, as pure as you can be with God's own act of creation, as so pure that absent from this body, you'll be present with the Lord in heaven itself in the midst of his glory. That's how pure you are. Blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God, Jesus said, and that's what happened in the new covenant. Now we can see him. Awesome. Only God can make the heart pure. And this, and this game, this game that religious people play about searching the heart for sin and dealing with your sin and trying to purify your heart and trying to get better and better so you're fit for God and fit for heaven is bogus. It's bogus and it's, it's a red herring and it's false and it's not the power of the gospel. It's not what Jesus came to die for and be raised again for. His gospel, his work is so awesome. It literally catapults you out of this world for the whole world has been crucified to me and I into the world, Paul says. A whole new identity, no longer from below, but from above. A new creation, a new people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Awesome, 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 awesome. Call unto me, he says, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. Great and mighty things. And we relegate his awesome work to this religious game. And this control and manipulation by religious leaders. And it just gets me mad. <laughs> because it's not the truth. The truth sets you free. And uh, so let's, let's pray and, and let's see where we go from here. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see. I feel the fire of the Son of God who says, You... You did not enter in yourself, you Pharisee. And you hindered others who were trying to enter in. White sepulchers. Oh, God. Lord, help us see these things and help us, help us be strong in the faith. Help us encourage each other, knowing each other no more after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For we are the sons and daughters of the living God because of what you did, Lord, not because of what we did. You raised up a new creation.
Behold, I do a new thing. Consider not the things of old. Consider not the things I did in Moses' day. For Moses spoke of me. And had you listened to Moses, you would believe in me, for he spoke of me. Behold, I do a new thing. I have done a new thing. Behold, all things have become new. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who is thirsty come, and let him take of the water of life freely, without cost, freely, without cost. For this is my work, says the Lord, and your righteousness is of me, says the Lord. And no weapon formed against you will prosper. For your inheritance is me. I am your reward. I am your reward. And your shield. Jesus' name. Amen. Where do you go from here? I'm trying to think, what, what direction in this? You know, my heart is to really... There's so many things I want to share this morning about... I think we need to be bold. I don't think we've been nearly half as bold as we need to be. I think that we've been... Um, and I don't mean to be obnoxious. You know... Um, but I don't think we need, I think we need to be a lot bolder than we've been. One of the things that come, will come to you as you begin to question uh, false teaching that's out there, one of the things that will come to you is this word like, oh, let's not be critical. Let's find ways to build the kingdom of God together without being critical. Um, tell that to Paul. Paul stood Peter to his face. Peter was, in the Galatian letter, Peter was beginning to compromise the, the freedom of the gospel of Christ. And he began to be afraid of the Jews from Jerusalem that were coming up. And, and he was afraid, well, they, they're, gonna, they're not going to like me eating with the Gentiles. Because in Jerusalem, they were still a little legalistic and they, they, weren't, they weren't seeing as much. That's why the church didn't begin in Jerusalem. I mean, it began in Jerusalem, but it didn't prosper in Jerusalem like it could have because they had, they had so much baggage it prospered out of Antioch. Antioch is where the church exploded and took, took over the world because Antioch was Gentile. They didn't have the trappings of the Jews in Jerusalem. So God did what he could with the, with the Jews in Jerusalem. They did a lot. They did a lot. But it was Paul who went to the Gentiles in Antioch that exploded because they didn't have this, this, this mixture of law and grace that they had to work through. Because they were still struggling in Acts 15 about this, these Gentiles coming in. I mean, I mean should they... Should they be required to keep the law of Moses? I mean, they talked about this. I mean, they, they didn't have it all together. It's so cool the way God recorded this in the book of Acts. You see this, this movement in the early church trying to grapple with these issues of law and grace. It's awesome, and it's recorded for us to read. It's very honest about their struggles. They had a big meeting in Jerusalem. You want to read something very interesting, read Acts chapter 15. And all the big guys, all the big guns were down there. There's Paul and Barnabas and Peter and John, all the apostles, James. All of them were there in Jerusalem to discuss this thing about the Gentiles coming into the church, coming into this new covenant. 
Should they be circumcised? Should they be directed to keep the law of Moses? Should they be? That's all these things they discussed. And that's when Paul spoke, spoke up and Barnabas, and they, they were saying, no, 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 no. Christ has done it all. There's nothing you can add to his work. And they listened to this. And James listened. And, they, and then finally James spoke up, and he was considered the leader of the church. And I like what uh, Gene Edwards says about that. I, th- I think he's right about that. Gene Edwards says that um, the reason why he believes James became kind of like de facto the leader of the church in Jerusalem is because he was Jesus' brother, half-brother, and he looked like him. I think that's cool, which, comes, which actually speaks more of the, the fleshly, carnal approach of the Jerusalem church. But I think that's cool because James was Jesus' half-brother, so he had, they had the same mother. So they kind of looked alike. So he kind of, by de facto, James became like the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So I think Gene Edwards probably has that right. There's something about the physical characteristics that they still wanted him to be with them in a physical way. But anyway, so James, after that discussion, James stood up and said, I've heard all the discussion, and this is what I believe. And he spoke with authority as the kind of the leader of the Jerusalem church. He said, it sounds, sounds good to me and to the Holy Spirit. It sounds good to me and to the Holy Spirit that these Gentiles are coming into the church should not be directed to keep the law of Moses or to be circumcised or to do any of these things. For God has given them the Spirit as He's given us the Spirit in the beginning. Peter was there witnessing that. That's why the Spirit was held back in, in the, among the Gentiles. See, Peter had to witness. Peter had to witness the Spirit falling on the Gentiles. That's why he was sent to come bring the gospel. It had to happen in front of Peter as a witness because of this meeting that was coming up in, in Acts chapter 15. Peter and... John had to witness the Spirit fall upon the Samaritans. Remember in Samaria, they had received the gospel from Philip, and they were like all excited, and they were, and they were believing, but the Spirit had not yet fallen on them. And people use that, make that, as, as a, make that a doctrine. No, 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 that's God's, the very beginning, there had to be a witness. Peter and, Jay, and John had to be there to see the Spirit fall upon the Samaritans, the half-Jew and the half-Gentile, so that there'd be a record, a record that the Jew... The half-Jew, half-Gentile, and the Gentile are all destined to be joined to God through Christ. Isn't that awesome? They had to be a witness of the Spirit falling so that when that meeting happened in Jerusalem, Acts 15, Peter could say, God sent me to Cornelius. And I was in the house of the Gentiles, and I witnessed with my own eyes the Spirit falling upon them as it did on us in the beginning. How can we forbid these from this covenant that God has already joined himself to? You see? So it's so cool. God is very methodical, but very, he's cool. I mean, he's like, he's, re- he's, he's, he's documented all this stuff. And so there it is, like, you know, in the record. So we can see for centuries to come that all people are accepted of him through Christ. Jew, half Jew, half Gentile, and Gentile. So anyway, um, yeah, so Peter, speaking, going back to this thought about how Paul confronted Peter, Peter was in the Galatians and he was um, concerned about these Jewish brothers who were coming up to Galatia because they were, they still had in their thinking that they shouldn't eat, eat with Gentiles. That's a big, big rule among the Jews. You don't eat with Gentiles. You don't uh, really go in their, their houses and, you know, it's like separation. So Peter's, eat, Peter's up here, you know, eating pork and bacon and all this stuff. <laughs> Some good, good stuff with the Gentiles which is not kosher, you know. And uh, he's having a good time with the Gentiles, so excited the grace of God is spreading and they're receiving their love of God, love of God and the forgiveness that's in Jesus. And, and then he hears that the brothers are coming up from Jerusalem. Then he, they come in 
Peter kind of starts moving away. So, so he starts sitting with the Jews, separating himself from the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are over there just having fun, just rejoicing, and they're going, hey, what's wrong with Peter? I don't know. He's over there. He was over here with us. What's the deal? He's having kind of funny. I don't know. What's wrong? You know, Peter's over here with the Jewish brothers. Didn't want to get in trouble with his Jewish brothers because he knows how they think. These are believers. These are Christians. You know, these are Christ, Christian Jews. Paul comes in the room. Paul comes in here. Fiery Paul. Peter, stand up. He did it in front of everybody for a purpose because he wanted this thing to not grow. The scripture says he confronted Peter to his face. And he says, Peter, you're not living consistent with the truth of grace. You separate yourselves from these Gentiles because you're afraid of what your Jewish brothers are going to think about you sitting with a Gentile. And to Peter's credit, he humbled himself and he said, you're right. You're right, Paul. You're right. And, they, and it was awesome. And everybody began to really see, wow, this is, this is, this is cool. But a little bit of leaven will leaven the whole lump like that. And Paul was very diligent to make sure that Peter didn't start something that made this rift between Jew and Gentile. For there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female, nor Scythian nor barbarian in Christ. For all are one in him, a new creation. And Paul was adamant about that. So, so one of the things you'll have come, come at you is this thing of, you know, we've we got to all get along and we shouldn't criticize anybody and we should all work together to build a kingdom. And just be aware of that because that's, that's a trap sometimes that um, just to keep you from, from speaking out or asking questions. Um, no one should ever be offended be, just because you ask a question. If you ask a question about, well, if you believe this, then what do you, what do you think this verse means? Or, you know, whatever. And it, it, if you see if people get all agitated and, you know, that's how the Pharisees acted. They said, how dare you question us? That's the, the attitude was that, how dare you? Like the person who was healed of blindness. And, um, and you know, they brought, it, brought him before them and, and they said, who made you blind? I mean, who, who healed you? Tell us, who, who healed you? Um, we know no man can do this. Only God can do this. But who, who do you say? And they were trying to accuse him, trying to catch him. He goes, look, I don't know. Just a simple man. He goes, I don't know. Once, all I know is once I was blind, now I see. And this man, Jesus of Nazareth, touched me. And then they said, you know, angry that they would, he would credit Jesus with the, with the miracle. And then they said, uh, and then he, he said, he said, why don't you go? He goes, why don't you go ask him? You, do you want to be his disciple? Oh, my God. Do we want to be his disciple? You dare teach us? You know, and, and they got they get angry because there's this arrogance in sometimes in religious leadership that says, you know, we are the clergy. You are the laity. So lay down. No. Um, you are the peons. You know, that is, that is the meaning of the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. In the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to the church and he says, I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. I hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans speak of, that's how we get the word laity, laitans, laity. Nicolaitans, from the word, we can, we can kind of tell what it's referring to. It's this whole clergy laity uh, mentality. 
There's no clergy laity mentality in the body of Christ. Jesus said in the world, those who have the higher authority, or those in the world, those who are the greatest have more authority over other people. That's how it is in the world. The greatest ones in the world have more authority over other people. More people are under their authority, and that's considered in the world's eyes the greatest ones. Like the president of the United States has more authority over people than I do. So in the world, he's considered greater than me in the world because he has greater authority. He commands the armed forces. He could start a war. He could, you know, all these things. And Jesus said, that's how it is in the world, but it shall not be so among you. Jesus said that. It shall not be so among you. That's how the world operates, but it shall not be so among you. Because in the body of Christ, it's not a matter of, of uh, leaders being over followers. In the body of Christ, there is one head, one body, and many members of that body. Now, in that body, there's different giftings and callings. There's apostles, there's prophets, there's teachers, there's evangelists, pastors. Those are offices. Those are gifts. For what what purpose? For the building up of the body of Christ. For the work of the ministry. So the body of Christ might be fed and encouraged so that the body of Christ can do the work of the ministry in the world. Not the clergy doing it and we just are spectators and... No, that's a whole, this is the whole mindset that is wrong. The organic church that's rising now, the organic church that's rising now is a spiritual reality that, that uh, people are realizing that, hey, I'm, I'm a minister. Amen. I mean, that's how the Reformation started, really. All of us are priests of God. That's why the Catholic Church was, said, oh, no, no, we're, we're the priests and you're the laity. You're the, we're, only, we're only the priests and you're not. And then that's where Martin Luther says, oh, no, we're all, we're all priests. That's where we've kind of lost sight of that. But that's how the Refor- one of the big points of the Reformation was that we're all priests. And it's true. We're, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We all carry the bread and the wine after the order of Melchizedek to remind people of what Jesus did and call them to believe that they might receive the gift of righteousness. It's awesome. So this is a... Uh, so there's no lording it over the flock, the scripture says. It's actually, when you see apostles, prophets, Paul says the apostles are considered last. They're considered the drudge, the, 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 the scum almost, if you want to put it that way. The, the apostles are not to be over you like this. No, they're under the body like this, holding her up. Wow. See, the, the leaders are underneath the body, holding her up, encouraging her, pointing her to him, the head. And the, the, the uh, apostles, the prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, they're all the same thing. They're all holding her up, encouraging her that she might see him, the head. And they're one, they're one uh, common thread and emphasis, hold fast to the head. Paul says all these various teachings came at the church, uh, pulling them away from Christ. And he says, he says, uh, Discard all that junk. Hold fast to Christ himself, the head. That's the work of these gifted ministries is to to break open the mystery of Christ. To make disciples of him and not disciples of them. To make disciples of him and not disciples of them. To break open the mystery of Christ and help each person find their own gifting, their own calling in the spirit. And then the the body of Christ is to recognize that. Recognize the giftings. You don't. 
The Spirit distributes the giftings and the, and the manifestations as He wills. And then as a body, when you have the gospel right, it's so awesome. It's beautiful. Because you're not judging each other. You're not con- comparing yourself to one another. Everybody's got a different gift, a different calling. A different, and you recognize it in your brother and your sister. And you go, dude, man, you're an evangelist, man. You, you, you cannot stop talking about him everywhere. That's because that's your gift. I think of Ken Davis when I think of evangelists. I mean, who would not dispute the fact that Ken Davis is an evangelist? He's, I mean, he's, he, has, he has borne the fruit of an evangelist. He thinks, drinks, eats, sleeps Jesus. I mean, he's always trying to, you know, find a way to help someone see grace. It's like, you know, that, that thing about um, nine degrees from Kevin Bacon, that thing, you know, everybody's nine degrees from Kevin Bacon, that joke they do about, you know, nine relationships away. Everybody, everything leads back to Kevin Bacon It's a joke. There's so many people that are like nine degrees from Ken Davis. I mean, you can follow back so-and-so, met so-and-so, who met so-and-so, who met so-and-so, who met so-and-so, who heard so-and-so, and then that last thing, oh yeah, and then, and then Ken Davis shared in Long's Christian bookstore about the gospel. <laughs> and then this, another person, this person met so-and-so, they were on a vacation in Tahiti, and they met so-and-so, and this met so-and-so, and they met Michael and Rocky Bean, and Michael and Rocky Bean heard the gospel from Ken Davis. <laughs> it's cool. We recognize the gifts of the Spirit among us, and it it's flows, and the body is nourished, and we encourage each other, because I tell you what, this thing is simple. It's not complicated. Leaders like to make it complicated, so you have to rely on them to always go to them with it for all the answers, and you know, and all that. No, it's simple, but it is very, very profound. It's simple, but it's profound. Changes everything. It literally turns the world upside down. Upside down. The truth turns the world upside down in the way the world looks at things. Just look at that. Perfect example. In the world, the greatest are those who have most authority over other people. Not so among you. The greatest are those who are the greatest servant of all, Jesus said. Those who serve more and encourage more, they're considered the greatest in his kingdom. It's awesome. I mean, that's just one example, but the truth turns the world upside down. Like, you know, where the world holds you accountable for your sin and you're judged for your sin in grace. Sin is not even imputed because of Christ. Turns the world upside down. Turns religion upside down because religion is part of that world. And that's why religion fights and that's why religion resists and that's why there's you know, going to be opposition at times when you and I speak up and are bold. But we need to be more bold than ever. We really do. In a gracious way. In a gracious way. In the spirit of grace, be bolder than ever. You know, they said of, they said of Jesus when he was 12 years old, he said um, they were amazed, not so much by what he was saying. As 12 years old in the temple, when his parents couldn't find him, you know, they weren't amazed so much about what he was saying or teaching because he wasn't doing a lot of teaching at 12 years old yet. They were amazed by what he was asking. The Pharisees were amazed by his questions because they knew by his questions he knew the issues. They were tough questions. And they knew that, hmm, I'm not sure about that. How does this boy know these questions? Sometimes it's the best thing you do is just ask a question. Ask someone like, you know, if Jesus took away our sin, why do you keep asking forgiveness for it? And leave it. 
Let them ponder that. Walk away. Awesome things we can do. Plant seeds and encourage people. But be more bold. You know, more bold than ever. Because the Spirit will back us up. The Spirit of God will back us up. And don't be afraid of conflict because that's God's way of spreading the good news. I mean, the book of Acts, there's a riot on every, in every chapter. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, you read the book of Acts, it's like, a, there's like, because think about it. Paul said, if I had added one thing to the gospel, if I had added one thing, the persecution would have ceased immediately. All calm. If I'd have added one th- anything to what Christ did, because that's what the enemy wants. What penetrates the darkness is the simplicity yet profound, the simple yet profound revelation that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world, taking upon himself the judgment of the world. It's done. It's done. It's finished. It is finished. That simple word that whosoever believes on him Whosoever believes shall receive eternal life. Eternal life is as close to you and I as a breath that says, I believe. Eternal life. Live forever. You start living forever even right now. Eternal life abiding within us. Hebrews is all about that. One day I want to go verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is so rich. Hebrews is all about, you know what Hebrews, the essence of Hebrews is? The essence of Hebrews is the writer is trying to get his Hebrew brothers to see it's not about works, my Jewish friend. It's about belief. Just believe that he has done it. That's why the beginning of Hebrews talks about entering into the rest, the Sabbath rest. There's a true Sabbath rest. He who believes enters into this rest, this true Sabbath rest, and has ceased from his own works as God did cease from his. Believe and enter into that rest. And then the the meat of Hebrews talks about how all these sacrificial systems were in priesthood and covenants were a picture of the covenant that was coming after the order of Melchizedek, a superior covenant, where God himself would simply do it. He would do it. He would make you perfect. The law which made nothing perfect could not make us perfect and he did it if we but believe. And then the end of Hebrews chapter 11 sums it up with by faith Abraham, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Sums it up. The whole writer, the whole essence of the, of the writer is trying to get his Jewish brothers to release their emphasis on good deeds for God's favor and to simply rest and believe that he has done it. Awesome. That's why the book of Hebrews is so powerful when you take it in and meditate on the book of Hebrews. It will lead you deeper and deeper into a rest of what Christ has done. It's awesome. One day we'll look at that maybe verse by verse. I also would like to do Galatians again verse by verse. We did that about two, three years ago. That would be kind of cool, I think, because a lot of people weren't here to hear that verse by verse in Galatians. So we might do that too, because that way you know what every Sunday we'll be doing that, you know, for a while, and we can just go through the short book of Galatians. It's rich, rich. He talks about, he refers to Abraham's covenant and how God cut covenant with himself. That's awesome. God cut covenant with himself for you and I while Abraham just slept. He just slept, and he woke up, and he saw. God cutting covenant with himself. 
Awesome. Well, I just want to try to get that in writing. I think it'll be good for you to study and maybe give to somebody else. But again, we're not trying to pinpoint a person or even a, de- a denomination because it's, it's the teaching that I'm after. I'm after exposing legalistic teaching and comparing that teaching with the true teaching so that we can be better teachers ourselves of the scriptures. And I think if I do a commentary line by line of what this blog is saying, because this is a real pastor, not something I made up. This is a real pastor. It's on the website. It's a big church in North Carolina. And uh, this is not just uh, an isolated thing. It's, it's widespread. This type of teaching is widespread. It's teaching that basically um, could have been taught in the days of Moses as if Jesus didn't even come. As if he never took away our sin. As if he never gave us a new heart. As if he never raised a new creation. As if we were never translated into another realm. Into the kingdom of the beloved son. As if it never happened. It's not good. And the church is feeding on that. And that's why we are anemic. We have a foundation, which is Jesus. Because we, have, we believed at one time. But wood, hay, and stubble is being built on that foundation. And when the storms of life come... People are devastated and they wonder, where's God? Where's God? Why don't I feel him anymore? Why can't, why can't I overcome this fleshly thing? Why can't I overcome this? Why can't I do this? What, what's happening? Because you're building with wood, hay, and stubble. Because you're eating a, a diet of law and grace. And the law is not of faith. So if you, eat, if you eat of law, you don't exercise faith at all. The law is not of faith. So we are anemic as a church worldwide. We're anemic. In terms of faith, we're not strong in the faith. We're, we're anemic because we've been fed a steady diet of law, and the law is not a faith. But a steady diet of Christ, a steady diet of his work, look not on the flesh, but at the spirit. Set your mind on things above, where you are righteous 24-7, where you are also seated with him in heavenly places. Behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. And let that glory transform you and renew your mind after the same image that, in that he created you in his image. Behold him and allow that mysterious dynamic of heaven work as Moses looked into the glory of God and his face began to shine. And Paul says, this is it. This is how it works. That's a picture. That's a picture of how it works. Don't look at the flesh. Don't look at sin. There's no good thing in your flesh. Don't try to search out sin in your flesh. And don't think you have sin in your heart. Behold this reality of a new creation. Behold him. He has created you new in righteousness and holiness by the truth. Behold the face of God in Christ. Behold him. Look at him. Fix your eyes on him. Behold the Son of God in your inner man, Paul says. And you will experience a dynamic that is not of man but from heaven that's shining forth the mind is renewed and we find ourselves actually becoming not becoming but manifesting what we already are that is the heavenly dynamic it's god's way it's not man's way it's awesome and it's in all the apostles letters it's not some weird thing they all wrote about this awesome way of beholding the son of god in our inner man behold him There is no sin in you. For the seed of God abides in you, 1 John says, and you cannot sin. The seed of God, the DNA of God is within you and I. Sin has been relegated to the body, our members, the flesh. It has been quarantined there. This body will not inherit the kingdom of God, and that is not who you are. 
The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. The body is dying every day, but the spirit is being renewed every day. It's a new man, a new creation. Put on the deeds of the new man because that's who you are. And that's what we must break free from, this religious thinking, this legalistic thinking that tries to keep you from being who you are. It's awesome. The Son of God sets us free. We shall be free indeed. If we keep following Him and listening to Him, we shall know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Awesome. Lord, thank You so much. Thank You so much for helping us see. Helping us see. For in this kingdom, seeing is everything. You came to open the eyes of the blind. And then you sent Paul. And you said, Paul, go open the eyes of the blind. For seeing is everything. Because you've done it all. We just have to see it. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Because of you. We rest in you. We believe. As you said, Lord, did I not say, if you would only believe, you would see the glory of God. Only believe. Amen.